0: Pastor leads countless people to the Lord through through just the favor of God on his life and it is our privilege to have him come and share this morning. Let's let's give him a hand. Family, it's really good to be here. And let me say something at the start. I was so impressed with the pre meeting this morning. And while we were in that pit praying for people, I had such a clear picture of lots of seeds being sown into St Albans and the area surrounding town in Christchurch through your lives. And God wanting your eyes to open up to see just how much they've grown this morning. God wants you to know that there is a harvest there. There's a harvest there for you to be reaped. And he wants to open your eyes to recognize and to be part of the harvesting in this season. So it's a real privilege to be here. There's two folk within the Baptist movement who've encouraged me more than any other people, and that's John Help, your pastor, and Murray Cottle. And so when I think of John, when I think of an opportunity to come and share with you, it's with great um, humility and great appreciation. I found that both those two men have given me opportunities to share and to teach evangelism and to just be part of extending the kingdom within the movement. And they continually wave the flag of things of the Holy Spirit and things of the Word within the movement too. So he's a good pastor for you, I know, but he's a good pastor for the whole movement too, that John Alp. is a blessing. Hey, is there anybody in the room this morning? Is there anybody in this room this morning? He's awesome. He's a great blessing. Anyone in the room this morning who um, sometimes gets frustrated with evangelism, with sharing your faith? You sometimes think, oh, I wish I could be more effective. Anyone here involved in any sort of ministry and you think, gosh, I wish my ministry could be more impacting than what it is? Anybody like that? I think if we're honest as Christians... That's what most of us want. We want to see people saved, transformed. We want to see whatever we do for Christ within community ministries or children's ministries or in the worship having a profound impact. And I want to share with you something this morning, a very simple principle from Scripture that will increase your impact upon unsaved people and your impact in the kingdom, helping people grow stronger in Christ Jesus. A lot of folk often say to me, Russell, how come you spend so much time with this person and so little time with that person, when they're both screaming out for your time. this'll explain why. It's all about apples this morning and harvesting fruit. <laughs> Virtually everybody you meet in New Zealand would have at some point had some encounter with a Christian or some God experience. Maybe they've been to a Christian funeral, a, a, a wedding. Maybe they've turned on TV and watched a few minutes of Joyce Meyer or something. Maybe they've been to a special occasion where Christians are speaking. Maybe they work with a Christian. But I want to tell you that every time Christians impact upon somebody, if their hearts are open, if there's good soil, they get closer to God. And we're all involved in a process of bringing people closer and closer and closer to salvation. But you can be involved in the process of helping people across the line as well. Now, there's some people that are better at it than others, but you're all involved. We're all called and invited, the passage I'm about to read to you, to be involved in the process of harvesting souls for eternal life. Yeah. I haven't got a great memory, and back in the 1980s, there was a book that came out, and in that book about evangelism, they mentioned the Ingalls scale. Now, I think, John, you mentioned it the other night. I actually can't remember the content of the scale, except it went something like this it, there was a picture drawn of discipleship. And it said, people are a long way from Christ, like a summer bin Laden. That's negative ten. You know, way anti-Christ, not interested in Christianity at all. People who are ready to become Christians are minus one, minus two. Zero, that's that's when they give their lives to Christ and are baptized in water and the Holy Spirit. And plus ten is when they become apostles and prophets and things of great significance and Christ-like in character. And in this book it said, the purpose of evangelism is not to get someone to pray a prayer, but to move somebody up that scale, from way, way, way from Jesus into the kingdom and into maturity. So I want to say to you, if you're doing something for Jesus in which you're moving people up, closer to Christ-likeness, you're doing the work of discipleship. And that's essentially what evangelism is about. So we're all doing that. And yet, as you're moving people up, there should always be people who are a long way away, coming close. Those that are close, getting closer. Those being baptized into the kingdom and receiving the Holy Spirit. Those going on to maturity and those going on to significant maturity in Christ Jesus. There should always be something happening at every level. Now, one of the most enjoyable things you'll ever experience is being the person that gets to pick the fruit. to Notice when they're at negative one, negative two. And someone else has done all the work often Or five or six or ten people have done lots of work evangelizing this person. God's been working through multiple people, but you just seem to notice when they're at that place, they're ready for harvesting. And I believe that's a joy every Christian can have. I want to speak about that this morning. In John chapter 4, verse 35 to 40, we read You may say that there is still four months until harvest time, but I tell you to look, and you will see the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. Even now the the harvest workers are receiving their reward by gathering a harvest that brings eternal life. Then everyone who planted the seed and everyone who harvests the crop will celebrate together. So the saying proves true. Some plant the seed and others harvest the crop, but I'm telling you to harvest the crops in the fields where others have done all the hard work. Does that sound good? God is saying to Christian people, I want you to pick ripe fruit. I want you to do some harvesting. I want you to notice people at negative one, negative two, who are ready for the gospel, ready to become Christians, ready to become your relatives for eternity. Be part of that. Be part of that. And this is how you do it. I'm going to explain it to you. But I want to give you some things you can go to the bank on. Some things when you're sharing your faith with people, you think, I'm not sure what will happen in this situation or that situation. Here's some things that you can know that you can know that you can know. First of all, the harvest isn't months away. It's today. It's not months away. The harvest is today. All around us daily are people who are ripe for the gospel. They're there. They're all around you. They're in your communities. They're on the plane that you're flying. They're on the bus that you're sitting on the train. You know, wherever you go in your workplace, there are people today who are ripe for the gospel. The harvest is not months away. You and I need to get over focusing on the people that we want saved and identify those people that God has prepared for salvation. Who are the people that God's already been at work and through multiple people and multiple God encounters where they're ready now, they're ripe fruit, ready for the picking. Gathering ripe fruit, helping people come to salvation, is harvesting souls for eternal life. I don't know if you've ever read a book and you thought, wow, I just so enjoy this book because I agree with everything in it. I, I, I don't often get books like that. And there's a book by a man called James MacDonald, uh, called A Vertical Church, I read last year, beginning of last year. And in this book, he, over about four or five pages, clarified something that uh, helps me articulate something I've been doing for years and years and years. And that is, how do I identify ripe fruit? And instead of just talking about ripe fruit, he says, people are green apples and red apples. And I want to explain that to you. Let's look at the definition of green apples. He said, green apples are people, are those people who are not interested in God. Don't want to ever hear a message on giving because money is their idol. Don't want you to tell them that they're sinners. As far as they're concerned, they're good people. They don't want to make um, God the boss of their lives. They want to remain in charge. That's a green apple. That's someone who's far from the kingdom and right now their heart isn't open to the kingdom. The problem is green apples might be your son or your daughter. It might be your cousin It might be your best friend. It might be that person whose company you enjoy so much, you just want to see them saved. But right now, they might be green apples. Right now, there may not be evidence of God at work in their lives and their openness to that work of the Holy Spirit. And so they're green apples. And if you try hard to save a green apple, and you pour your energy into trying to save a green apple, what happens? You're possibly going to bruise them. And sometimes you'll bruise them to the extent that they won't even ripen. And sometimes you'll try and push a green apple and they'll just become greener, won't they? they just become more and more resistant. And if you try and evangelize the green apples around you, the ones that you, particularly you want to see saved, what tends to happen is you try hard and you try hard and you try hard. And after years and years of trying to win Uncle Bob to the Lord, you go, "This evangelism business. That's really horrible. It's so frustrating. And it's really hard. But in reality, it's not. The reality is if you focus on the people you want saved and put all your energy and time into them, you might get frustrated. But if you focus on the people God's already at work in, you won't be frustrated. You'll have an absolute blast in the kingdom. You'll have an adventure in the kingdom. There was once a young man, a green apple, that seemed like such a good guy, except that God, his God was his possessions, not the God of the Bible. And he said to Jesus, I keep all the commandments. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, put God above your possessions. Go and sell all that you have and follow me. And that green apple walked away. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, three shocking encounters. Three people wanted to be Jesus' followers. Verse 57. Along the way, some people said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll go anywhere with you," Jesus said. "Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to call his own." Jesus told someone else to come with him, but the man said, "Lord, let me uh, wait until I bury my father." Jesus answered, "Let the dead take care of the dead, while you go and, and tell about the God's kingdom." Then someone said to Jesus, "I want to go with you, but first let me go back and take care of things at home." And Jesus answered, anyone who starts ploughing and looks back isn't worth a thing to God's kingdom. He turns away three green apples. Three people said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he goes, you're not ready. You're a green apple. You're not ready. You're not in that place. You're not in that space where your heart's really open to me. To the first one, he says, I don't even have a place to call my home. To the second, he says, leave the dead to bury the dead. In other words, there are people who are alive right now whose eternity is at stake, who can be saved. You spend your time focusing on those that can be saved, not the one whose decision has already been made. There are far greater priorities in the kingdom. Three people came to him who said, I want to follow after you. And he said, you're not ready. And he walked away. And here's the shocking thing. You can examine the scriptures and say, when did Jesus go back to those people? When did he go back for a coffee? When did he invite them around for a meal? When did he follow up on them? There's no evidence that he ever did. You can examine the church history books and say, where in the history books does it record Jesus went back to the rich young ruler or those three people and, and spent time with them and tried to win them over? There's no evidence that he did. Did they ever become Christians? I've got no idea it's possible that five or ten years down the track these people went through a crisis in their lives their life securities were shaken and maybe they went to a church and maybe they became Christians but the reality is Jesus identified four green apples and because they weren't ready for the gospel he didn't invest his time there he he walked on and he left them shocking Jesus said I've come to save the lost not the prideful person who thinks they're okay and don't need God, but the humble person who realizes that they don't have it all together, that they are sinners, that they need a saviour. Those people are the ripe fruit, ready to hear the gospel, ready for you to witness to them. And they're the ones Jesus is speaking about. Red apples, let's have a look at the definition on the screen. Red apples are those people who are humble, they know they haven't got it all together, they've honestly evaluated their own lives and concluded it's just not working, something needs to change. Red apples are facing something, feeling something, needing something or searching for something. Now you can spend your life trying to win a green apple and be utterly frustrated, but you can spend time with a red apple and see God's hand at work radically fast and in a tremendously satisfying, exciting way. What's the biggest barrier to the Holy Spirit? Well, I'd say pride and unforgiveness are the two biggest barriers. And if someone says, I'm okay and you're okay, if someone says, I'm just doing fine, I'm not a sinner, what do you mean I need a saviour? Yeah, they're going to be fault-fine. They're going to be looking at your church and my church and say, look at those Christians, and they're going to find all sorts of excuses to reject your God and to not listen to your testimony. They're green apples. Now, they may not always be green apples. There'll be seasons when they become red. But don't focus on those people. Focus on the humble person, the person who says, I'm not sure about life. My life feels incomplete. I'm not sure where I'm going. I need something more in my life. That's the green apple. That's where the harvest is. I found often people turn um, red and in green again. So they might be a green apple, they come to your town, your district, and they don't know anybody. And for a little season and time, maybe a couple of months, they become red apples. They're new to the area and they're wanting to make connections and all their normal securities are gone. And for a little window of time, they're red and they're open to the gospel. I've seen people who've been green apples for years and, and they lose a loved one or they get made Redundant. Well, something happens in their life that just shakes all their self-confidence you know, and their self-certainty and their independence. And they begin to question life and they become red. And boy, if you hone in on those people and you love on them, they're going to become saved. They're going to come into the kingdom red apples. I often say to people at uh, both at Ruanui and at Whangarei, where I an now, Please don't bring your green apple mother-in-law to our church. Because what happens is this, and I've seen this happen so often. Kids, Christians will say, look, you know, you can stay at my place and I'll do these things and those things for you if you just come to church with me. And so they come to church and they sit way back in the church and, and I stand up and I say, you know what? If people here today are living with their partners and they're not married, they're sinning, and their salvation's in jeopardy, it's dangerous. You need to repent. And if you're getting drunk, or you're getting stoned, you're sinning, and your eternity's in jeopardy, you need to repent. And I stand up and I preach to people because I love them, the Word of God, and the green apples sit back there in the back row, and they give me the death stare, and they go away after the service, and they haven't changed. In fact, they might have even hardened their hearts toward the gospel, and toward Jesus, and toward the church. Don't bring your green apple mother-in-law to church. Bring the red apple person. The problem is a red apple person may not be that one who you just love so much, that, that prodigal son, that workmate, that best friend. Your green apple, red apple person might actually be that obnoxious person you're working with who's going through a change in their lives. That green apple, the red apple person might be someone you bump into at Pack and Save or at Countdown. And all of a sudden, you sow a seed and the God conversation starts. and There's a genuine hunger genuine interest in God. It may not be the person you want, but right now in this season, God's doing a work in that person's life. And if you hone your time and you hone your energies and you hone your prayer into that red apple, red apples so often get harvested. You see, the Bible says other people have sown and other people have water, but you can harvest. And people think it's just the evangelists who can bring people into the kingdom. I don't see that in the Bible at all. My Bible tells me that Every Christian is called to witness. Every Christian is called to share their faith. Every Christian is called to make disciples. Jesus says in John chapter 4 Boy, the harvest is ripe. Yes, it is. You walk into any room and it's full of green apples and red apples and ones that are turning red. It's full. And what are you going to do as a Christian? Are you going to pour your prayers and your energies into the green apples and think, evangelism, it's just so stressful when it doesn't work. Or are you going to say, Holy Spirit, I can see you're at work in that person. I can see you're stirring that person's heart up with questions and desires and interests and Holy Spirit, if you're at work in that person, boy, I know God, I can't convert anybody. I can't save anybody, but you're working there. This obnoxious person or this person I barely know, So God, I'm just going to join him with what you're doing, with my words and with my actions and with prophetic obedience, and God, you'll do what only you can do, and you'll bring people home. It's funny, I've been three months at Whangarei, and they've been really tough, really tough, you know, beautiful people, lots of tradition, lots of religiosity, but tough months, and what's kept me alive is the people coming into the kingdom. You know, I can handle all sorts of things and family crises and long hours and, and crazy church business meetings, which I haven't seen for years, you know, because I see people turning red and those red apples come into the kingdom. Uh, so we've been there, been there three months. We've baptized two very mature Christians and 20 are brand new to the kingdom. You know, And it's been fun, seriously good fun. And, and the joy of the Lord is there because we're just harvesting, just harvesting, just harvesting. Now, the temptation would be to look for this or that difficult one. And there's some people that would say, look, my son's wayward, and my daughter-in-law's wayward, and this one's involved in the Masonic Lodge. Russell, go and sort them out. And I go, thanks for telling me. You know, but My eyes are open, not for those people. My eyes are open for the people God's already touching people, God's already changing. We're to be co-laborers with him. I was sharing with a team yesterday about my prayer life. My prayer life is pretty simple. People might think that someone who loves seeing lost people saved, you know, would be praying all the time for salvations. I kind of give that away to people. What I do during my course of my day, I constantly thank God for things. Thank God. So I'm talking to the Lord all the time. And I'm aware of his presence all the time. It's kind of like when you're in an office, you know someone's sitting behind you on the desk behind you. You can't see them, but you know they're there. And so all day long, if the Lord wants to give me a prod or a shove, I think I'm going to hear it. And I think I'm going to obey. That little nudge he gives me, go and speak to that person. Go and pray for that one. Just go and share lunch with this person here. Uh, That person over there, uh, they look like they're open right Mm -hmm. now. And so I can feel his presence, I can follow his nudges. But I wouldn't call myself an intercessor at all. My wife is, and there are people in our church who are fantastic intercessors. Back in Ranui, what I used to do with the prayer team, we had a whiteboard every Wednesday morning. And these guys were serious Pentecostals like most of you are, just fantastic. And I'd write the names, not of the green apples up. I didn't write green apples up on the prayer board. I wrote the red apples up. People I knew that were close to the kingdom. And so often, so often, I'd write the name up of someone I believe God was about to bring into the kingdom and they'd be finishing the prayer meeting and coming out and I'd be baptising that person. So often it happened. So often between writing a name up within the week, that person would be baptised. Now the thing was, I wasn't getting to pray for green apples. God had already done 90% of the work. And I was saying, guys, push them off the fence. Just get through the battle. You know, and they did the work because I'm not that great at that sort of thing. And they interceded and the power of God was there. And people would just knock on the door while their name was on the on the board with their t-shirt and shorts and say, I'm ready to die and live for Jesus Christ. Green apple harvesting. Every Christian can harvest. Everything you do from negative 10 to positive 10 is evangelism. It's part of discipleship. You're building the kingdom. God says to the whole church, go and make disciples. not that 3 to 5% of a church that are gifted in evangelism. The whole church. So everything you do, you're drawing people to Christ's likeness is evangelism. I believe it is. It's making disciples. But every Christian can have the joy of taking someone from negative 2 to negative 1. And across the line, through the waters of baptism and through baptism of the Holy Spirit and into the kingdom of God, every Christian. And nothing will bring your faith more alive and fill you with more joy than being part of that on a regular basis. And I don't believe that's intended just for pastors or just for evangelists or just for the alpha leaders. That's God's plan for the body, for the whole church. Now friends, we're going to do two things very Baptist and I'm going to commission you this morning pray for you, a fresh commission to be sent out to harvest people who have been ripened. Because God showed me a picture this morning. So many seeds have been put out. You just need to see the ones that are ripe. There's a whole lot of fruitfulness out there. Seeds have been sowing into lives for years and years and years. And there are people you've been loving through your community ministries and through your neighbourhoods who are ripe for harvesting now. So we're going to pray for that in just a minute. But we're going to be true Baptists for just a minute before that, okay? I'm going to put up on the screen... <laughs> multiple choice, and you're going to vote. Okay, you're going to vote. Imagine you're a young man wanting to help someone meet Jesus, and you walk into a room, and there are four people there. John's a captain of the local rugby team, and so many people look up to John. I mean, gosh, if John got safe, how many guys are going to follow John? He's a self-sufficient sort of a guy. Sarah's pretty hot and very nice to talk to. She's B. Steve is sitting by himself on the corner of the room, looking a bit awkward. And D. Amy's on the smartphone, texting hard out. Turn to the person beside you. You've got 30 seconds, and then we're going to vote on it, church. Okay, so A, B, C, or D. How many people vote for John A? Your hands up for A. Okay. How many for Sarah B? The hot chick? (laughs) Some of you can't vote for everybody too. And C, how many people vote for C, Steve? And for D. For D. Okay. Now the answer is Steve. As Baptist people, as God loving people, we just love everybody. And I can't help myself but love everybody. I just love people. I really do. But when it comes to your time and your words and your prayer life, you should be focusing on C. Maybe the others get 5% of your prayer. 5%, you're going to love them. You're going to send some arrows up for them. You're going to be polite to them. But I want to say to you, if you want to harvest ripe fruit, you go for C in this situation. Next one. Similar question to what we had yesterday. Another vote before I pray for you. Out of these four people, who should you concentrate your prayers and evangelistic efforts on? A, the Mormon guy at the door who wants to tell you about his new revelation that Joseph Smith got. B, Amanda who seems to believe a whole lot of funny things spiritually but has so many questions about the Bible, God and Jesus. C, Peter reminds you that Christians are meant to care for the needy and he has lots of needs and if you're a real Christian you should help him. Or D, Uh, Farouk, your your Muslim neighbour who has never shown any interest in your God or church or E or the above. 20 seconds this time. Talk to your neighbour. 20 seconds. I know that I know there's only one right answer to that. So we'll see how we go. How many people vote for the Mormon guy? Put your hand up. How many for A? Right, not as he's a green apple. How many people vote for B, Amanda? Your guys are awesome. And we won't go any further. Just that's exactly right. The person who's questioning the open, I know so many churches, so many pastors that spend all their time just responding to needs. You need to help me, you need to help me. I even find that when Christians come to me and they've got some bizarre idea like you need to read the King James Bible only or women woman shouldn't speak in church or something, I'll give them half an hour max and I'll give them something to read. And if they come back and they haven't learned and they're not teachable, I won't spend any more time with them. When I'm counselling people, even Christians for marriage counselling, I'll give them homework and if they come back and they haven't done their homework, I'm going gonna, gonna to cut that thing really short. And I love marriage counseling. I have such a lot of fun in it. But I'll cut it short if they're not open, if they're not teachable. You need to spend your time where the Holy Spirit's at work. You need to invest where God's already at work. Now, it doesn't mean you'll stop loving the Mormon guy and Peter who's demanding all your food and your your pocket money. And the Muslim guy doesn't mean you'll stop loving those people. Absolutely not. But you need to be led by the Spirit of God. You need God to open your eyes to identify the red apples because the word says all around you is a harvest. There's a harvest ready for picking. And he said you can harvest where other people have sown and other people have watered. And I really want you to have the joy, the joy of doing that on a regular basis. Church, would you stand with me, please? What I'm going to do is ask you to keep your eyes open. But I'm going to ask you to put up your hand in just a minute if you're willing to say, Jesus, I want to be a harvester, okay? And then I'm going to pray a commissioning on you with your eyes open, with your hand up, okay? So just sing about this for a moment. There's no way you can do evangelism without using words. There's no way you can be a harvester and try and be a secret closet Christian. You actually have to obey the Holy Spirit. You actually have to get out and say things and do things and get to know people. And sometimes put new people and seekers above your own priorities and your own friendships. But I really had a sense before we started this morning in that prayer room that there is a harvest all around us here at St. Norburn that you've been sowing into faithfully for a long time. And God wants you to see those people. So if you're willing to be a harvester, put your hand up please this morning. Just with your eyes open. I'm going to look at you because you're my relatives, you're my family. And I'm going to commission you this morning. Father, your word says when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so I declare over these people, Lord, who you're sending out, that they're already equipped because they have the Holy Spirit to witness. I ask God that you'd open their eyes to see the red apples. Red apples all around them. Red apples with smelly breath and good breath. Red apples that they like and dislike. I ask, Lord God, that you give them such a love for your kingdom and such a desire to respond to your spirit that they'll focus on the people you're working in right now and leave the green apples for later. Father, I commission them afresh this morning to fulfill Matthew 28, to go into all the world, especially Christchurch, church, to make disciples baptizing them first in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to do all that you taught them to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, family.